All right, let me let me try to unpack a little bit of what's been in my heart because it's difficult to know how to work out sometimes the the longings we have, you know. So, um, Stan and I were having a conversation about the issue of God being uh, a fire. And and this this thing of of wanting to uh, t- to stay passionate and and burn for God and the theme you know we, we kind of certain themes kind of speak to you you know based on the season you're in I don't know what season you're in but here's the thing that's fresh for me is I was just walking in the woods and asking God what what is the offering that I can that I can give you that will that that your flame that your love that your spirit that uh, your presence will will be able to 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 consume and be pleased with you know and and I know this is a metaphor and I'm not even sure if I that I want to work out what the metaphor is and um, so I, I was like man this song that Will Reagan wrote back in the day fill me up where it starts with you provide the fire and I'll provide the sacrifice. You know, you provide the spirit and I will open up inside. And then the chorus is just fill me up. But it's the verse that really, it's the verse that was speaking to me. So I turned that on. And as I turned that on, I was just talking to God. And I'm like, Lord, what is it that I, that I still have yet to offer you? And like, sometimes I think we think, oh, it's the parts of my life that are unsurrendered that I need to offer and that's true, but other times it's the things that aren't even wrong that I'm offering. Sometimes it's my love. Sometimes it's my friendship. Sometimes it's just my time, my, my body, my, you know, it, it's not always something I'm repenting of. It, it, it's, it's, then, I, then I started going, you know what, there's sometimes it's doubts and sometimes it's dreams and I don't even, I think I texted you all this this morning, you know, because I was just percolating so I started to, to just process, you know, because, and we've talked about this before, but the, there's, there's like an eternal flame in the temple. And the priests are supposed to always keep the fires burning. Now, that's for the candlesticks, right? It's not necessarily the flames for the sacrifice, but the candlesticks. And in the, in the book of Revelation, we, we kind of see this image of, of incense rising as being the prayers of the saints, and you get the impression that uh, the, the, the eternal undying flame in the tabernacle is replaced with, in this temple or this temple, this unceasing flame of prayers and the pouring out of our soul, the pouring out of our, of our intercession and our adoration and our communion constantly and not letting that fire die. And we talked about that at least, I don't know how many times in here, but over the past decade, at least, I want to say at least three times maybe, that it's the priest's job in the Old Testament to never let the fire go out. And obviously that physical tabernacle is a shadow. And now we're in the new covenant where we've inherited the reality. So what is that that's never to go out? And, and, you know, and we recently we've talked in here about Paul saying to Timothy to rekindle 
the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of hands. Fan into flame the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. But he's not always flamed up. It's our job to contribute to how that is flamed up. So that's what I was asking. That's what I was kind of processing is how do, I, how, do we, how do we do that? And what, what, is that, what does that mean? And so I started looking in some scriptures. If you want to find a few of these, Psalm 51 would be the first one. Because I believe the question I just said, Lord, what are the sacrifices? What are the sacrifices? Carl says praise is one. Let's zero in, take a little more time. Why are you saying praise is one? Is a, is one? Where's that coming from, right, in, in your Bible? Oh, I, don't know. I can tell you it's in I Hebrews. It's in Hebrews. Okay. Answer him. That'd be great. Who is it? Janice. Yeah, tell her hi. <laughs> Ask her the question. See if she was so what she, was, she says. I should have I said, give me that phone. <laughs> so Carl says one of the sacrifices in the new covenant that we offer that that God loves, that he delights in, that he consumes, that's a pleasing aroma to the Lord is praise. Because that's the, that's the deal, is in the Old Testament, when, when they offered the animals, the animals to the Lord, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All of it was, not just the meats, not just the fat. All of the offerings, including the grain ones, the thank ones, the fellowship ones, they were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You're going to fill that out? The incense. And in the New Testament, or at least the book of Revelation, incense is identified with the prayers of the saints. I was going to say our time. Our time. How? How is our time an offering? By praising Him, worshiping, reading the Bible, like spending time with God instead of just coming to church on Wednesday and Sunday. Sacrificing. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, sacrifice in our time. That's interesting. So that almost implies that when we give God time, when we don't feel like it. Like right now. Yeah. <laughs> I came up with every excuse not to come. Literally. It's Valentine's Day. You don't want to go. You know, everything you can think of, and I still made myself come. Thank you. Good to no, see you. I need this. This is, yeah. this is right. for me. Yep. Yep. Well, then, uh, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> right. One I got here and pulled in, and I'm like, are we not having it tonight? I know we're having it. Just I got all upset. And I'm like, you know how it is. And I'm like, nobody's here. I'm like, oh, no. So time, the sacrifice of our time, carving out yeah. space. Mm-hmm. You know, like we sing, we sing things like, I will make room for you. Right? And, that, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's a, good, that's a good line. No, it's more than a line. 
We have to create space to allow God to do what he very much wants to do, but he's waiting for us to create space. Yeah. What else? Well, in Timothy 1, it's talking about even a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. Yeah, that's where I was headed. That's where I was headed. Should we read that? Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 51, 16 and 17, you do not desire, that's so interesting, you do not desire a sacrifice. So he, he sinned greatly. That's the, it's a repentance, it's, it's David's big repentance psalm. And then if you look at the little footnotes at the top, it probably says, well, they're not the footnotes at the top, whatever you call the little notes at the top, whatever you call them when they're not at the foot, the little head notes, the hat, the little hat notes. It says, This is the psalm David prayed after he sinned with Bathsheba. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. In other words, that's not what you want. Even though you require one by the law, that's not what you're after. You do not want a burnt offering. He requires one, David. How can you say that? David understands What does God really want? The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Man, we were just talking the other day in a situation with someone who isn't. Stan and I were chatting and I said, if you're really sorry, if you're really sorry, You don't just say you're sorry. You try to make it right. You try to repair any damage you've done. Mm -hmm. You go back to the people you've harmed and you don't just say words. You try to make it right. Right. And that hurts to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I hated. I hated after I got saved. The Lord made me go back to the store that I worked at and I had stolen beef jerky and whatever stuff in my socks when I was not a Christian. And then I get saved. And then he's like, go pay back what you took. And I was like, but I got no clue how much I took. And he's like, well, then pay back more than what you think you might have taken. So I took $20 bill in, asked to see the manager. The turnover rate was so high. uh, There was a different manager then by the time I got there. And she broke down in tears, wouldn't take my money. And I had come all the way, you know, on a long trip to get there, fighting with the Holy Spirit the whole way there because it's so embarrassing It was more embarrassing to repent to a human than it was ever to repent to God. It was was embarrassing to make it right. It cost me more to make it right than it did to tell God, forgive me. But that was real repentance. And she finally did, I think she finally did take the money. No, 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 she she pressed it back into my hand and squeezed my hand around and give it to the church. And I was like... It's like, woman, get the wrath off of me. I'm trying to get this this one million pound God off my back. I have one, I had one priority as a baby Christian. Please God. And when something became obvious that this is God's will, I was going to do it if it killed me. And I felt like it was going to kill me. You know? And sometimes God has asked me to go back and fix something that I said if I exaggerated. Even it's embarrassing. But, you, but, but what is he after? He's not after, he's not after 
uh, outward performance of you got once you sin and you got to go to church and you got to give an offering. No, fix fix the relational stuff that's wrong. He's after a heart that cares, loves what he loves, hates what he hates, grieves what hurts him. Do you, are you, you hearing what I'm saying? And, I, and I've often said in here in the New Testament, the word repentance is not synonymous with weeping and, oh, I'm terrible. It means to renew your mind, to change your mind. But there is a godly sorrow that leads to that. Right? There's, an un, there's a worldly sorrow that leads to regret and self-hatred and long-term unhealthy stuckness and shame. But there's a godly sorrow that says, ah, I hate that. I'm going to fix that. I hate that. I'm going to change that. I hate that. I'm going to clean that mess up. I don't want to be this person anymore. I hurt them. That makes me sad. And then, but in that Psalm, you know, Psalm 51, what's really fascinating is David has this very God-centered repentance. It's, it's not about David. Like nowadays, we would call it narcissistic apology, where you know you've messed up your relationship, so now you're trying to repair your relationship so that you can get on with being happy again. Like a selfish repentance. And David says, against you have only have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your eyes. He's only doing what's right because this primary relationship is driving these relationships. Right? Okay. Anything else, guys? Other sacrifices or offerings that uh, please God, give him something that his spirit can, can burn, that can keep the flames burning bright. Hold up. There was a hand. Yeah, Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4.24. I'm sorry, 4.23 and 24. So be careful not to break the covenant the Lord your God has made with you. Do not make an idol of any shape or form. I like that. That's, that's, that's it. That includes a lot of stuff. Do not make an idol of any shape or form. For the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. This sounds weird, but would it cross be considered that, I mean, being that it's in every church and on our next I think it's each person sometimes. Everybody has to walk out there and walk. I'm going to repeat that. Could a cross be an idol? And your answer was, maybe to some people it could be. And your thing is, if it's superstitious, like, oh, I better reverence that cross. Got to make sure I have that. Yeah. Yeah, because then you're trusting in it, and it's like a weird magical... Correct. Yeah. To you and to me. Yeah. For sure. For sure. 
So an idol. Don't make an idol of anything. And, and it's so easy for us to, to look down on the Greeks and the Romans and maybe Hindus or other cultures where they have idols, where they have statues, where they have special uh, places that are considered uh, holy places. And then and they put wreaths and flowers and pour drinks. We could go, oh, well, that's, that's, we would never do something like that. But when we take values and then, why is that, my back door is not shut? That's their point. That's literally the purpose of those doors. When we take any value, and, and, and that value like uh, uh, security through wealth, right? That's, a, that's, that's like, oh shoot, I wish I could I list off fluently all the Greek and Roman gods and show how each of them represents a value that they actually made a statue to, but we still bow down and worship at the, at the altar of status, of family, of reputation, of, uh, oh shoot, of romance, of, uh, of war. Like there's all these things that they actually created a little statue for it. Well, we don't do the statue, but we do the thing that's the same of, the ba- of centering our life around it and saying, if I have this, I'll be okay. And if I don't have this, it'll be the worst thing to ever happen to me. Right? And God's like, I want to be the one you turn to. I want to be the one that provides you hope and peace. I want to be the one. I, 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 let, let me be God to you. Let me be provider. Let me be security. Let me be hope. Let me be peace. Let me be comfort. Let me provide crops. You know, like they would have said crops, we would say money for paying the bills. Let me provide security. Let me provide hope in, in, in life and death. Let me provide oh, rest. Look to me. Let me be your God. You be my people. You don't need these other things. And then he throws in, I'm a fire. I'm a consuming fire. I'm, I'm intrigued with that. I'm, I'm super intrigued with the theme that God is a fire and that fire is terrifying if we're made of the wrong things, but it's heaven if the motive is different. Have you ever had that thought of if you could take the people in hell and put them in heaven, it would be maybe even worse for them than hell? The light's too bright. The grass hurts your feet too much. The, the, the air is unbreathable there. The glory's so bright the pain would be worse because they're made of the wrong things. They love the wrong things. They hate the wrong things. It's just a thought exercise of, of, of um, perhaps the... I, I can't remember who said this. doesn't matter. It matters if it's true. Perhaps the flames of heaven burn more brightly than the flames of hell. God is a consuming fire. Really? Oh, man, how do I say this the right way? Whatever we offer gets put to death 
and then we come more fully alive. I can't figure out why I'm drawn to this theme or entirely what it means. That's crazy that you're bringing Cain and Abel up. Mm -hmm. Then, I, then he was furious that it wasn't good enough. Furious. And Abel's was accepted, and he was so filled with bitter envy that he hated and murdered him. Which is intriguing to me. That means he was so religious, right? He, he wanted God. He was spiritual. And he wanted God so bad that when you got God... He had to kill you. And I was just like, that is, that's what I was thinking about before I came over here. That's why when you started mentioning Cain and Abel, I'm like, are you serious, Don, right now? That's weird. I said, that's not going to come up tonight because it has nothing to do with my message. That's weird. Romans 12.1, you know it really well. Yeah. I plead with you to give your bodies. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Your bodies to God. Because of all he's done for you. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. I really think he's piggybacking off of what David said. That it's not about outward ritual, but about heart, relationship, lived reality. It's not about not lived reality. It's not just inward, not outward. But it's not about outward ritual. It's about embodied heart reality. Give your bodies to God. And then, of course, the very next verse is about the renewal of the mind I would say through Holy Spirit-saturated scripture meditation, right? And then we'll know his perfect, pleasing, acceptable will. And then we're right back into last Sunday's sermon. Give your bodies to God. Another translation, I think, says, this is your acceptable or spiritual act of worship. I think, what is that, NIV? And I keep coming back to this over and over and over. Whatever season we're in, whatever's going on in our life, whatever we're carrying that day, that week, whatever burdens, whatever fears, whatever griefs, giving our our whole self and those to God and saying, I trust you, that is always an acceptable sacrifice. That is always an acceptable offering. And I was so, Danielle and I were kind of chatting about you know how she likes to do the things where we shout? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, uh, can you give me something to shout from Psalm 3? <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, I was just like, over the years, I found myself in times of musical worship, praying and saying things like, God, I trust you. And I don't know why. I don't, it's not like I decided that's what I'm going to pray when I go to church. 
I just find that comes out of me a lot. God, I trust you. And then another one is, God, you're worth it. 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 Because what I'm doing when I say, God, you're worth it, he knows fully what I mean. All this other stuff in my life, God, you're worth it. It's reframing. I'm reframing. That's an offering. That statement is me saying, my life, my whole self, my relationships, my wife, my kids, my friends, this, this, the choices that I've made to make Delaware my home and Gateway my family and whatever's going on and whoever I might be thinking about that morning or praying about that morning or whatever it is that it costs to walk by faith this day, this season. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Framing it. I, I love how Paul says he's being poured out like a drink offering. You know, I love that because it looks like a total waste. The offering always looks like a total waste. The only way that, that anything we offer to God is not a total waste is if he's real. And he's invisible. You know, and then Psalm 3, what does it say? It, it starts with a whole bunch of people standing around saying, where is your God? There's no help for you in God. Many are they who say of my soul, ha! There's no help for him in God. And then he launches into the thing that we used to sing when I was a kid. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And then he gets very warlike, and I like it. <laughs> he gets into masculine worship, and I like it. I approve. Heavy metal. Heavy drums, heavy electric guitars. Yes, absolutely. Me and Jacob Borders had a good long conversation last summer about restoring the balance of the masculine and the feminine to our worship here. I said, Jacob, you and I are like, we're very romantic. And so our worship veers toward the feminine. The intimate themes, the love, the romance of the Lord, the tenderness, the voice, the affection, the grace, the sweetness. I am your beloved, all that sweet, nice, beautiful stuff. The romance of the Lord. I said, so we're out of balance. We also need, we need that, but we also need like the, the strong drums and the heavy metal of Jesus has overcome the devil. Jesus crushed the serpent's head. He was historically crucified on a tree for my sins, so my sin is dead. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and he burst the bonds of death. Death has no mastery over him. I will rise with him. We win. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Can we, can we rock out now and... Right? So counterbalance, the, the masculine and the feminine. Maybe I'm wrong. Those are, I'm just grabbing for words, but you get what I'm saying. It's not all just about sweet feelings. It's also about historical, strong facts, truth that doesn't change, that I can stand on, right? You want two examples. Uh, a few more examples of God as a fire. Because the God as a fire thing sounds scary, but I, it doesn't scare me. It's attractive to me. Yeah, okay. What passage is that? That is 1 Kings 18, and the verse is 24, where he says, how about this? The God who answers by fire is God. That's, you're, you're, did you read my notes or something? No. 
You people are. I was singing that this morning too. Or Exodus chapter 3. Uh, man, for years I've thought. Exodus 3. Moses is walking and he sees a burning bush. A burning bush. Why did it catch his eye? That's weird, right? Yes. I mean, I, I burn all the extra vines that I cut off and the weeds when I trim stuff. I make a big old pile, I burn it, and it goes away. I don't do what the weird people do, put it in plastic bags and take it to the dump. What are you doing? Yeah, that is weird. You go, well, there's a burn ban. And I say, well, I'm sneaky. So... <laughs> I'm sneaky. So he stops because the bush. <laughs> You're not wrong. I had a I had a neighbor that would call the cops anytime that she thought our fire looked like it was no longer a recreational fire, and it was like. <laughs> anyway, back to the sermon. <laughs> So he stops because the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Right. And, what, and then it's, the, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing interaction. And kick off your shoes because you're, you're on holy ground. Mm-hmm. And then who are you? And then I am, which seems like a not an answer. It's another way of saying it's too wonderful for you to know, but, but I'm here. I do exist. I think Sherry understands the I amness of God more than most theologians that I've studied it for their whole lives because she had a revelation on it, and I'm not going to ask you to explain it all tonight, but I wish I could dip a ladle into what you know about I am and just sort of pour it on my own head for a little bit. So there was, I don't know if it was a Wednesday night here or if, when it was. It must have been a Wednesday night because that's when we have the back and forth. We were asked, maybe it was Sunday morning, we were asked to just pray and listen and, I think, talk to God. And I decided I don't want to talk to him. I want to try to see what he says to me. And so I just say, God, what is on your heart today? Which I usually don't do. And, and I just sat there. And then suddenly he just, like, showed me, like, he said, I just love this world so much. And I said, wow, you love it. And I just listened. And he was like, I love every living thing. I love every living thing. Every breathing little creature, every li- human, every living thing, I just love it. And then I was just so blown away by that. I don't know why it blew my mind. It just completely blew my mind. How he just, that's all he wanted to tell me is how much he loves every living thing. I'm way beyond three sentences. Keep going. And then, then beyond that, the ne- another day I was talking to him about how amazing that was that he told me that. And then he was like, but I love... I love even the non-living things. Like, and then he like explained how much he just loves like the wind blowing in the trees, and then he like the aurora borealis and all, all this stuff. He just showed me like how much he just loves the non-living things, the rocks, the sand on the seashore, the water. The he just loves everything, right? So then I, I don't know. I don't know all the steps. I don't know what happened, but. One, I don't know what I, I don't, I think one, I don't know if it was because we were talking at one point about just trying to spend like five minutes in silence. So this happened over the course of a little while. So I was just sitting in my living room and I was on my knees with my face to the carpet 
like trying to just be silent before him. And then just suddenly I just had this, this, I don't know, what do you call it? I just realized, like, I just was like, wow, God, you are. You just mm. are. You're not just in, lo- like the, in the living things. You're in everything. You're, everything. And it was like this, just like this, you are. You just are. You're, you are. Yeah. And I, I like every, I don't know, something in me broke. I don't know what broke. But I can get beha- I can forget that sometimes, and I don't want to forget that. He just is, and so that like that's how I try to like when I talk to him right now. I just try to remember, wow, God, you just are, you are, you are, you just are. And then I was telling Tim about it because one day I was sitting, I, my car broke down, and I had to take the public transportation bus because of well, I don't want to get into that situation. There was a reason why I had to take the bus, and I didn't want to call a friend to get me home so I was sitting at this terrible bus stop in Georgetown and there was all this trash all around the um, bus stop I'm taking too long nope, I'm keep so going. sorry and I'm sitting there in this crappy bus stop with not hardly even a, like a place over you know, the seats for you to sit and this little baby bird sparrow a, a, like just a sparrow a baby one had a mother that it was a grown, it was a fledgling. It had a mother right there, and it was like, they were eating up all these crumbs. And, the, and the, every time the mother was still feeding it, when the mother would feed it, it would shimmer. Like, his, its whole body would shimmer. Like, I'd never seen that before. Just shimmer when his mother was caring for it. And then I was reminded of how God just loves the sparrows. So, like, it just is, was blowing my mind. And I think we just, I don't know how to, like, I don't know what to, I have to remember, like, I have to remember to pray like that now. Because I don't pray like that often. You just are. God, you just are. You're right here. You are. But I forget it a lot. I have to remind myself to think like that. Mm. I have to change my mind, like how I think about it. It changes everything. That's revelation. It's, it's healing, too. Because it also goes back to the, I don't know if it was a sermon, your talk about knowing that God is so encompassing, or I don't know what the word is, right? I, I didn't have words, so I said godness. Safe, we yeah. are safe in this world. We are we're safe, right? That's a mind-blowing thing. Hmm. Yeah. That goes back. I don't yeah. even hear that's a sermon. That, that, came, that, came from, that came from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, referring to the birds and essentially telling us if we see our Father clearly, we will realize that this world is a safe place for us to be because of Him. It goes because back of to His your kingdom. sermon about the godness of God, like, yeah. which I think you said was lost. That was, an, that was amazing. That wasn't a sermon on Sunday morning. It was that was a Wednesday, night. yeah. That whole, like, God's godness. See that's within ourselves, like or within our atoms. There's galaxies in our atoms, right? Yes. The distance between a nucleus and the first electron shell is like a football field. So there's galaxies within our atoms. You did an excellent job explaining. So. 
We're in Exodus 3 talking about God saying, I am. And I said, nobody understands that as much. I, I don't know anyone who understands that as much as Sherry because of revelation. It's, it's revelation. And that's who Moses encountered. And I, I have said this for years, but I think we are all meant to be burning bushes. I think we are meant to be uh, uh, not, not perfect, not, not everything's going great for them. What's your secret? Oh, it's Jesus. But rather, oh my word, this terrible world did to them what it does to everyone, but they aren't burned. This horrible project of life in a fallen world where everything goes away and dies is happening to them too, but something else is going on with them, and I have to step aside and see what it is, and oh my word, I'm on holy ground, and what is it? It's the I am. It's his, like, what? We're, like, I think that's what happens to us. But there again, the symbol of God is, is fire again. I'm intrigued. I'm just intrigued. And then we just mentioned that God who answers by fire is the true God. And God is a devouring, consuming fire from Deuteronomy 4 about idolatry. And then in the New Testament, it echoes that theme of our God is a consuming fire. And it says this. In Hebrews 12, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Boom, direct quote from Deuteronomy 4. Since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. That's that's interesting the way the logic works. The offering here is be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And I, I do find it interesting that you guys are going to be doing the awe of God because that's been big in my spirit for a little while now. And, and, I, and I try not to, I don't want to say, I think I, I say too much, we've lost this or we've lost that. We're here now. Let's, let's, let's build the right things in our hearts that we see God's calling us to instead of go, oh, you know, this day and age, the church of Jesus is represented. Why would we do that instead of just go, oh, cool, we can do this. I never was taught about the fear of God. Not really. Growing up, that, that was just never mentioned. Now, to be scared of God, mm. yes, but not a healthy, holy, reverential, honoring, like, I'm terrified to be without you. I never had that. I didn't know what that was like. No, I'm terrified. Now I am. But I think there's still a lot I need to learn and want to learn about that type of relationship. So I'm thinking I'm not the only one. No. And that there's others that, that we can grow and learn from this That's because I think as you, as you grow in the Lord, you know there's always a next level anyway. You know, if you push. What do you mean? You don't stay the same. I mean, as you grow in the Lord, it changes as... as 
you mature into understanding. You know, or sometimes you just stay at one level too if you're not. <laughs> you know, you just do. I think you just move up and up. There, you never actually, you know, stop growing and getting closer. Because then you would be stagnating and yeah, staying. There's always, isn't there always more revelation, always more adventures, always more wisdom and things that we can learn and grow in and experience and pass on to others, kind of mm. like a legacy. You know, where yeah. I, I remember about 10, 15 years ago, somebody was doing extreme deep sea exploration and below a certain depth, the pressure, there's no light. The pressure is so great that no sunlight can reach. And they were assuming there was not going to be anything down there. But around these thermal vents, highly, uh, extremely hot thermal vents, and there was some kind of almost like hydrochloric acid kind of system that these plants had figured out how to use that instead of photosynthesis to work. And these crabs and fish without eyes that were all white we're all living on this strange ecosystem not built on sunlight in the extreme deep. There's some things that I don't like. <laughs> yeah. And they went down there and they said, well, I'll be jiggered. They didn't, but this is, I'm going to put a Tim Miller tra- translation on it. Well, I'll be jiggered. We thought there'd be nothing down here. And it's all kinds of living things down here. And then the guy who was giving the talk was saying, uh, I forget, like 90-some percent of the ocean is unexplored. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said... That's what you got to say, that, that God is awesome. Because yeah. it all is like creation as you see it. You know, it's like it's like builds on top. It never, you know, it will recycle and rebuild. And just like, I don't know if I, don't know if I believe in climate change. I just believe there's that it changes. Like at one time, you know, this was this and it was hot there. And then I just think it's just... You're saying we don't understand as much as we think. Right. Because God is just an awesome God. And our brain doesn't work like that. And when I saw the dude with the submarine and the creatures that we didn't... We, if, we, if we made a prediction, our prediction would have been dead wrong. First of all, I'm not going down in that thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad they did. I'm like, send a robot. Um, but it made me think, okay, so maybe... What's that thing called where when you, when you are just starting out, you feel like you know a lot about the topic because you're learning so much and you're like, wow, I know so much now that I didn't know before. I must basically know everything. And then you learn more and you're like, last year I was an idiot. Now I know a lot more. And then you get to really know the thing and you go and you find, and it's like you, go over a, a hill and you go, oh, I don't know hardly anything, but you know 20 times as much as the person who thinks they know everything. You know 20 times as much as the guy who says, I'm the expert. You actually are the expert and you're the guy saying, don't ask me. I don't know nothing. I'm just a human. And as a human, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yes, you had your hand up. Fire experience. Uh, Moses on the mountain. Yes. Going to get God's me. God brought us out of Egypt to be with us, to relationship. You're going to meet with me. And God's on the mountain in a fire, but it's smoke, a lot of smoke. And we had the opportunity to be with him, meet, talk with him, and we were scared, fear 
afraid of God. Well, I don't know what the issues were, but they didn't want to. No, we can't go up there. We don't want to be near that, the fire of the God, you know, whatever. You talk to him and come back and tell us. Remember that? Yeah. So the fear, the, we don't know him, but we're afraid. You know, we were afraid of the fire of who God, God is, but yet we don't know him. And I, there is something with the fire. We're not going to get burnt, or whatever is going to get burnt is got to come off of us anyway, but... Yeah, the fire. I don't know. There's just something, you know. Gosh, that fire. God was the fire, and they missed out. They had to shuttle through Moses and Aaron. And stuff. Yeah. Even Aaron. He went down and started. Uh, what are you doing, buddy? You know, it's just. And then he lied. He lied. Oh, you know, these people, they were like, oh, what are we going to do? And then uh, they gave me all this gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Wow. That... He carved it. We were afraid, you know, as Israelites, we were afraid of God. So that awe and fear, the fear of God, they, 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 missed, they missed that. They missed having that because they were afraid, and they didn't want to, you do it. You approach God. You, you talk to us. Tell us what he said. That's so interesting. Oh, it's like you guys are in my room. Because this morning I was singing and I was just making up prayers. And, and one of the prayers was, if we fear you, Lord, we don't have to, anything else to fear. And if we don't fear you, we'll be afraid of everything. Everything will terrify us. We'll be afraid of sickness and death and getting rejected and what's going to happen to anything and everything will be a threat and a danger and we'll be consumed with anxieties and then we'll try to fix the world and by trying to fix the world, we'll be oppressors of the world. But if we fear the Lord, we won't be afraid. That's what I hear you saying. Oh, wonder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonder. Yeah, and, and not, you, none of us, I think when we're saying fear the Lord is talking about being panicked. That's what I thought it was, and nobody ever explained it until I really researched it on my own. It, it is not being scared to be, you know, with, with the Lord or anything. You know, it's, he's there anyway, and he just wants respect, worship. You know, it's not being in fear of him, but being with him. You know, I'm not scared to. Like, like coming here tonight, I, I, it was in my head, something was really funny, and I was laughing. I just felt like God was there laughing with me. like he thought it was funny too and I'm like okay that's a little weird but okay (laughs) yeah just not see that's my God my God laughs my God laughs my God laughs it's not to be scared to go before him but to I had a mentor named Gary and who straight up said he was he was scared of God I'm not going to defend him or attack him I'm going to tell you, he's an incredible man of God with really good fruit. And, he, and when we had this conversation, he looked at me like I was dumb and was like, what are you talking about? I'm scared of God. I obey him. And I was like, okay, then. All, all righty, then. You must have been the church of God first. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and maybe that's why I don't want to do that either. God will be scared. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that think that I'm in the middle of, you know how I guys, I make audiobooks. I take books that I love and then I stand in front of a microphone for about 30 hours and I record them. Yeah. Then I send Stan the link. 
right? So I just finished doing uh, Breaking Intimidation. Before that, I did one on like, breaking sexual addiction stuff. And then before that, it was, I'm always doing that. So right now, I'm in the middle of recording Here I Stand, The Life of Martin Luther. And oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The worldview of of Europe 500 years ago in the middle of the Holy Roman Empire and the papacy and indulgences and penance and masses on behalf of the dead and paying money to get loved ones out of purgatory and all the bones of the saints being viewed. You go, if you go and you pray and you touch the bone of, I touch St. Peter's leg bone. And then you know that your, your, your time in purgatory was reduced by 600 years because you gave $30. And, and they knew this to be the facts, you know, and, and th- it's such an incredible, for me, an incredible journey back in time, not long ago. Guys, 500 years ago is not long ago. 200 years ago is not long ago. 100 years ago is, a, is three minutes ago. 50 years ago, some of y'all remember, and you know what I mean? The pants have changed, but people are the same. The pants are different. Yeah, just hold. <laughs> but you should still change them and wash them. But Luther was terrified of God. And, and, and the reason the Reformation happened is not because he wanted to split the church up into a bunch of little pieces. The reason the Reformation happened was not because he was angry about the abuses of the papacy or the greed. He was. Everyone was. All the poor people were angry about the, the rich church not looking anything like Jesus Church leaders not looking anything like Jesus. Jesus is down among the poor, washing feet. They are in a golden castle receiving money. But that's not what, the Refor- what caused the Reformation. Do you know what caused the Reformation? Luther was desperately wanting to be made right with a holy God. He desperately wanted to know, how can I be forgiven? And how can I know my sins are forgiven? How can I be reconciled to God? All I want to do is love God. And when that... Pauline gospel of Jesus did it, and now the gift is yours. Receive it. Receive it all at once. He would spend six hours in confession, y'all. Literally. And his priest friend, who Staupitz, who would listen to his six hours of confession, he would say, Luther, I don't want to see you again until you have a real sin to confess. Go sin for real, then come back and talk to me. All this is piddly nonsense. Then he would, six hours confessing every motive that might be amiss. When I prayed, I prayed for my sake. When I saw so-and-so, I envied their peace. When I saw the, oh, and he's like, Luther. He goes, Luther, you're sinning by not trusting in God's mercy. Mm-hmm. See, Staupitz actually understood grace, but he didn't yet. And he, then he would leave confession after six hours. Oh, and he would think of a sin he hadn't yet forget, confessed. And in his mind, you can, you can be forgiven through the blood, but only if you repent and confess. So anything he hasn't repented of and confessed out loud, it didn't get, it's not under the blood yet. Guys, when he came over to the gospel, I'm just in. I'm just in. And so Luther would actually tell you, hey, if you're getting too proud of your track record for doing and pleasing Jesus this week, you might do better to just let a cuss word fly 
and ruin that because you are going to be guilty of some serious idol worship by trusting your own righteousness to count instead of the blood of Jesus to count. And I wouldn't counsel you to do that for that reason, but I understand why he would. Because it was such a shift. And he talks about you young Wittenbergers. You don't know what it was to grow up with a terrifying Jesus. Jesus as king of the universe with bolts of lightning in his hand. With the sheep and the goats gathered before him and the flames of hell beneath. And depart from me on his lips. And you would not know if you'd done enough until later. He's like, you don't know what it's like to grow up afraid of God. You have grown up in the sweetness of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the kindness of Christ. So I'm in the, I'm in the thick of, of walking with... Today I, I recorded chapter 10, and in chapter 10 I, I cried. It's the one where the, it's one, it's the, one where the Holy Roman Emperor is, has now been tasked by the Pope to confirm what the, what the Pope has already said, which is that he's a heretic and he needs to recant of all of his sayings and writings. And now the Emperor is there saying... Recant or die, right? Recant or you'll be condemned. Your books have already been burned. Now you're going to be probably burned. And he goes, can I have a night to think about it? The next day he comes back and he says, unless I'm convinced from sacred scripture, my conscience is bound. All you quote is popes and councils that contradict each other and contradict the Bible. So unless I can be convinced from sacred scripture, I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. He said it in German, and there was a long silence, and people say that some of the stuff he he said wasn't even written down because the people, the stenographers, were so emotionally engaged, they stopped writing. And then guess what? The crowds, they said in German, that's what I'm talking about. And now we're screwed (laughs) because the people are with him and the leaders aren't. And it breaks apart. They sneak him out of there. Anyway, it's a long story. It's a total drama and it's very exciting. Let's get out of here. Let's pray. God, you are a consuming fire. And we want the reverence. We want to to give you an offering. We want those wonderful Old Testament themes of sacrifice and offering and surrender and even something dying. And yet we know you are the God of of love and you are the Father of Jesus and you are the the source of all mercy and you delight in every living thing. And and we know that 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 same flame that, that burns purifies. It purges and cleanses and refines and and takes that which must be burned and removes it and reveals what should be there. I'm thinking of, oh, which one, which one is that in the C.S. Lewis thing where, is it Eustace becomes a dragon? I'll come back to that at a different time. Where, where, Where we need you to do a process with us, Jesus, that's painful. But if we say yes, you'll do it. And if we say no, you will honor that, not do the painful process. But if we say yes, It'll hurt and we'll become free. If we say yes and we step into the water, it'll hurt, but it'll be worth it. So God, I don't know what it is, but we say, God, you're worth it. I don't know what it is for each one in the room to say, God, you're worth it. I surrender even that. I don't know what doubts each one is surrendering. I don't know what dreams. I don't know what loved ones. I don't know what story or identity or ego or pride or image or 
reputation. I don't know what it is. But, but we say, you provide the fire. And I'll provide the sacrifice. Don't raise it.